This is the second week of a new sermon series that's going to carry us through the end of the semester. This is called Do Not Be Conformed to the Patterns of This World. Um, I don't know if it's somewhere in one of these titles or something, Um, but... uh, That's from a verse out of Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might discern the will of God. How many of you want to know the will of God? That you might discern the will of God and know what is good and peace and and acceptable and perfect. Um, One of the ways that's helpful, I I think, for me in thinking about what we're trying to do in this series, what our hope is for y'all. So um, neurologists, psychologists, people that work with the brain um, will often use certain language when they talk about unhealthy and healthy uh, neural pathways um, in your brain. So um, if you're, um, throughout your whole life, um, certain neural pathways have been created um, and then strengthened and then used all the time because of your habits and the way that you have grown to learn how to live life. And, and, and if they're unhealthy habits, procrastination, um, sort of getting tr- anger, getting triggered really easily. Uh, for many men, their struggles with pornography um, actually start three or four steps earlier than that. There's a trigger and that it fires and this whole sort of uh, string of events fires and, and it leads itself to, to pornography because you've done that so many times. And, and what, what people that work with the brain um, will often call that is a rut. Like a rut has been developed in your brain that there's actually been this path that's been worn so many times that, that now you can just sort of imagine this isn't actually what it looks like in your brain. Okay, but, but, it, but it's helpful as a picture to imagine the ground sort of worn down and now that just is the easiest place to go. And, and, but when you create new neural pathways and healthy ones, people that work with the brain call them highways or superhighways. They start as paths, footpaths. Matter of fact, every time you laugh at a joke you've never heard before, a new neural pathway is being formed in your brain. A brand new path just got created. Neurons fired that had never fired together and wired together before, and it surprised you, and you laughed. And and a new pathway was formed right in that moment. And if you begin to do that over and over and over again, if you take a, a certain trigger and you begin to practice something else instead, you actually are participating in renewing your mind and old neural pathways that, that were sort of ruts. And the reason they were ruts is because electricity will travel down the path of least resistance. Always, 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 always electricity will do that. And when your neural pathways get really strong and they grow, it's easier and easier for electricity to fire down them. But by not using them, they actually die. And so I have this image in my mind of ruts and highways. And I think one of the things that we're hoping to do is sort of expose some of the ruts, some of the, the patterns um, that, that we use a lot to make sense of life, to talk to each other. We post them as hashtags, these sorts of things, um, and expose those for what they are and maybe suggest new ways of thinking, new ways of, 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 of letting, uh, literally at a biological level, um, training your mind to, to become new. Renew your mind with the truth revealed from God, for this is how Paul says we will discern the will of God. So we're going to explore that. Last week, I uh, sort of talked about YOLO. Uh, I'll put that online at some point. You can listen to it. Um, uh, tonight, um, we got to talk about something else that I think is um, not fun, but really needed. So uh, would you pray with me um, about this tonight? Father, uh, I, know, I know what I'm about to step into um, and talk about. And I ask that as I speak to um, the burdens and the, the weights that my friends in this room 
carry, um, that I'm speaking in, in general language, in cliches and, and in um, big sort of umbrella words, Father, I know that that's the way I'm speaking, and yet they're walking with specific stories, with names, with dates. And I pray that your spirit would be at work, not only in helping me to say what you want me to say, and that you would keep me true to your word and keep me from heresy, but also that you would be the great interpreter and, and the knower of, of the will of God and, and the person who knows everybody in this room. I ask throughout this whole night that, um, that people in this room would believe that you are with them, next to them, and that you have promised that in Christ you will not forsake them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. What do you all do when life is really overwhelming? I'm not talking about a busy week. I'm talking about really, really overwhelming. When you cannot shoulder the burdens in your life, when the stuff that you, the decisions you have to make, the relationships that you're walking in, the situations that you're dealing with, when it is actually too heavy for you to carry and when you can't see any way out, what do you believe? What do you believe about yourself if it's you? What do you believe about others when you look at them and they begin to say, I can't do this? What are the thoughts that run through your mind? I know, I, I, I know because I see this stuff on Facebook and all the other social media things. Um, I hear it. We say a lot of things. I think we say a lot of things to encourage one another and to pump each other up a lot. You know, you can do it, you know, sort of stuff. Believe in yourself, right? Just really quickly, I just went and just found like two of the, of the, of the, uh, the, the, the fastest sort of just um, memes that I could find that are used to sort of encourage people. Just give me, we throw that first one up. You are where God wants you to be at this very moment. Every experience is part of his divine plan. <laughs> like, I see that stuff on people's Facebook walls, right? And, and honestly, on a week where like things are just a little tough, that might be kind of cool. Maybe, maybe you're the kind of person that, that sees that and you're like, that's what I needed to get through. You know, divine plan stuff. This is just what you have for me, God. Maybe, maybe that's what you need. If you're, though, at the, the, in the kind of stuff that I'm trying to talk about tonight, like you're so overwhelmed, you can't fix it. Your parents are getting divorced. You have been completely betrayed or hurt or rejected. You don't know how to reconcile a friendship. You actually can't pay all of the bills you need to stay in college. You literally can't. Like, you can't call mom and dad. You can't make enough money if you work 60 hours in the next week, whatever. And then somebody says, but, hey, you're where God wants you to be at this very moment. There's another one. We put the next one up. This sort of thing. Hey, girl. Good luck with your finals. I believe in you. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> My sister bought me a whole book of those. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what that means, but... Uh, yeah, anyway. Uh, but th this, is the, this is the sort of stuff that we often try to say to people. Now, now this, this stuff sort of gets, you got to take that down. I'm not going to be able to do anything if we keep that up. Okay, thanks. Uh, 
But, but, but memes are, have, are mostly, most of the ones I see are actually pretty sarcastic. Like it's really shocking to me when I see one that is just serious. Like it's like roses and it says, believe in yourself. I'm like, oh, oh like people actually, okay. Uh, but most of them I think are pretty sarcastic because we actually know that it's not really gonna work. And so if I just come at it sideways a little bit, if I just, if it's just tongue in cheek and I, I don't know what to say really, so maybe if I throw Ryan Gosling on a picture and say, maybe you'll know, like I'm trying, I just don't know what else to tell you. Uh, you know, and, and we sort of, even, I think we even know that they won't work and so we make light of them. And if those don't work, if something's so serious, we can't do that either. Like if something's really, really serious, we can't do that, right? So... Um, one, if you've been, some of you have been coming to, we, we pray every single week at like 7.20, 7.30, depending on how we're feeling, I suppose. Uh, just we pray for the night and pray for each other a little bit here. You're, any of you are invited to come and, and join us. Um, and for the past few weeks, we've been sharing that one of, um, one of Kirsten's best friends, um, a friend of mine, um, and she's a member of our board, a former student. Um, she uh, and her husband just had a baby boy, and he had a ton of complications in the hospital. And her, and her name's, uh, their, their boy's name is Wesley, but their, her name is Jolie. And she um, almost died, we found out, in the hospital. And we've been praying for her for a couple weeks. And that's, that's not the kind of situation where we're going to throw a meme at. That's unbelievably overbearing, overwhelming. There is no way to fix that. And in the midst of those kinds of situations, some people are inclined to, instead of going the, the sort of silly route or the, the picture of somebody looking at the stars and, and roses sorts of thing, we might quote Bible verses like, you can do all things through him who gives you strength. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and he, and he will make your path straight. But that doesn't, that's not actually gonna fix it for Jolie in the hospital. What happens when those things don't work? Like when our verses and our words and our memes and these things stop, like really encouraging people. I've had people quote Bible verses to me. I think that they were trying to help. And so I'm not frustrated with them, but they've quoted Bible verses at me and it has actually done the opposite of help. It's made me feel more depressed, more alone, more estranged because I think it's supposed to help, but even that won't work for me. Do you know what I'm saying? Have you ever been there? And somewhere in the middle of that, there's this idea that's cropped up in our culture, popped up, that God won't give us more than we can handle. It's like a thing, like some people say. God won't give you more than you can handle. And that's a lie. That's a lie. If you think that's true, it's not. Don't tell people that. Don't think that God will give you more than you can handle. This idea, it has roots in truth. It's just, I think, bad memory, um, probably. I think people mean their best when they say it. Will you put up that, that first verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 10? This is sort of where it comes from, okay? No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. No temptation. God will not let you be tempted. But with the temptation, he'll provide a way of escape that you can endure it. This does not say that God will give us more than we can handle. God will not give us more than we can handle. It doesn't say God will never give you so much that you can't carry it. That in every situation, there is a way for you to go through this. It doesn't say that. 
Elsewhere, we're told that God isn't even the one tempting us. So what Paul's trying to do for the Corinthian church in this kind of passage is not say God's giving you temptations, Corinthians. He's just not giving you so much that you don't have a way out. No, no, no. God doesn't tempt you. The evil one does. Your sinful nature now is looking for it. It might be helpful for some of us to envision uh, what was said pretty quickly to one of the sons of um, Adam and Eve that sin is crouching at our door. And Jesus comes in, God comes in and says, no, I'm going to protect you from the enemy. I'm going to protect you even from your own temptation. I'm going to make sure that in every single moment of temptation that you face, that I will provide a way out for you. We will never be able to point our finger at God for giving us temptation. And you can always know that right in the very midst of it, I don't know if you know this, right in the very midst of whatever you're tempted by, God is with you with you. Not, not before you were tempted, in the very midst of temptation, he is with whatever weaknesses you have regarding temptation. I hope you know that God is offering you a way out. But this passage is only talking about temptations. It's not talking about suffering or the burdens that you face in life. Nowhere are we promised that God will only give us the ability to deal, God will only give us what we have the ability to deal with. Do you know, friends, that God will actually give you more than you can handle? Far more, often. Think about, uh, first for me, this is maybe the first place I go when I begin thinking about this. I think about the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew's chapters five through seven. I would encourage you to read it and think about this as you read it. Some of the things that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says things like, if you have ever been angry, cursed at someone in your heart. Forget the word. If I've been angry with someone and I begin to meditate on that and think evil of them with my mind and in my heart, I'm liable for the fires of hell, Jesus says. How many of you have done that? We must love our enemies. Do you love your roommates? Your professors? (laughs) I don't know who else is your enemy. Do you love your enemies? ISIS? Maybe not the group, but the people involved? If you lust in your mind, if you've ever lusted in your mind, Jesus, Jesus says you have committed adultery. Do not be anxious about anything. And my favorite, he sort of kicks off things a little bit at the beginning this way. He says, your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees in order for you to get into the kingdom of heaven. So think of the, mo- the person that you know that is the most righteous externally, that obeys all the laws that you can possibly, they've never sort of cussed maybe, they're eternally patient, they, all this stuff. You must be better than those kinds of people to get into the kingdom of heaven. All of these things he says in the same conversation and more. And who in that audience has the ability to do all that? Should Gideon have been able to defeat 10,000 men with only 300? Do you know that God asked him to do that? Should Daniel have been able to, to, on his own strength, stay overnight in a den of lions? Should the disciples have been able on their own strength to heal the sick and cast out demons? Part the sea, Moses. God won't give you more than you can handle. 
He won't. Just part the sea. Do that on your own strength. God will never give you more than you can handle. Over and over again, brothers and sisters, God is giving people more than they can handle. He commands them to do things that they cannot actually do on their own strength. If you actually read the Sermon on the Mount and think that Jesus is being honest, that I must live this way, there is only one proper response to the Sermon on the Mount. No one can do this, Jesus. What am I supposed to do? That's how we finish reading the Sermon on the Mount. What can I possibly do then, Jesus? Of course, someone will still say, but we can do all things through him who strengthens us. Someone, someone will. And the same guy who said that, the same guy who said, I can do, we can do all things through him who strengthens us. I have found the secret to being content in all circumstances. Rejoice at all times, brothers. The same guy who says things like this, he also said this. Will you put that other one up for me? This is Paul. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. This is Paul. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You can, you can leave that one up. Listen to that. We were utterly burdened, so utterly burdened beyond our strength. The Apostle Paul the apostle of hope, some call him. The one who says that he considers all the stuff he's been through rubbish, all the, the trials he's been through rubbish compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus, says, no, no, no. I was burdened, utterly burdened beyond my strength. This guy is confessing to his friends that he was burdened beyond our strength. It was more than he could bear. He couldn't just, like some of us might be prone to think, he couldn't just, or, or, or how inappropriate would it have been if some of us had said to him in that moment, Paul, you just need to believe harder. You just need to try a little bit more. You need to believe in yourself. You can do it, Paul. He couldn't just believe more or try harder. What he was going through was actually beyond his strength. He couldn't muster up more strength to do it. It was beyond it. No meme is going to help. No encouraging words. We're going to change that fact. Brothers and sisters, there are times in our life when we too are burdened beyond our strength. God will give us more than we can handle. And what are we going to do when this happens? When what we're going through is simply too much for us? Especially if we think that God lets this happen to us or sometimes even causes it. Paul seems to think that, that God actually let this happen or caused this to happen on purpose in his life. Why would he do such things? Paul says he did it because it was a way to make him rely not in himself, but in the God who raises the dead. In the midst of his affliction, and this is interesting to me, he didn't receive hope from God that things would get better. 
He didn't think about Jesus and think, okay, I know this is really hard and I think I might die, but, but God's gonna get me through this. He looked at his affliction and nobody knows really what this is. People sort of speculate about it, but, but he looks at whatever was facing him and he believed it was the sentence of death. I'm going to die. My knowledge about Christ, the power of the spirit in me, all the, the Old Testament, all the letters I'm writing that are the Bible apparently, these sorts of things aren't helping me get through this and not die. I'm going to die. So where does my hope need to go? And so he cast his hope on the fact that God will raise him from the dead. There's no way out of this. So all that's left to him is to hope that God will raise him from the dead. And Paul says in hindsight that he experienced what he did in order to help him learn that. God, let me go through this, be burdened beyond what I'm able to carry so that I might learn that. When we're experiencing more than we can bear, this is what God wants us to see, that we need him. If we don't actually need him though, then it's really just a sick joke. But if we do, if we do need him, if he's really sustaining us, if he's really the bread of life, if he's really the living water, if he really is how we live and move and breathe, then perhaps he is loving us by helping us see our need for him. Even in the face of death, he is the one who conquers death and can bring us with him into new life. And if God can raise us from the dead, surely he can deliver us from the stuff we're in from our afflictions and our burdens and our trials. He may not, he may not, but he can. He may not, but he will raise us from the dead. And this, I, this is huge. If he will raise us from the dead, then whatever afflictions you're facing, whatever burdens you're carrying, whatever is completely overwhelming to you, whatever situations you can't fix, whatever things you don't know what to do with, whatever relationships you can't heal, whatever pain you can't find a way to not be painful anymore, none of those will have the last word. Jesus will raise you from the dead if you are in him. Matter of fact, everybody will be raised from the dead. If someone tells us the lie that God won't give us more than we can bear, what happens? In the midst of, of a burden that is so heavy that I don't have the strength to carry, if you come along to me and you say, well, Jason, um, th this isn't, uh, you don't need to look to God who raised you from the dead. God will never give you more than you can handle. What happens in my mind? I don't look to God. I start trying to figure out what I missed. What did I do wrong? How do I get out of this? Where is the exit door? I don't look to God, I look somewhere else. Because God already has, has made sure I don't have more than I can handle. Brothers and sisters, this is a lie. This is how dangerous it is to twist the scripture. A knowledge of God, our peace, our hope, our very lives are at stake. When we, throw, when we start throwing around lies in the name of God, God will give you more than you could handle to help you trust in the one who is strong and slow to anger and quick to forgive and eternally loving. When you are facing an unbelievable set of circumstances, the response is to say, God, I need you, Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. Not, well, he wouldn't put me here without a way out. So I need to figure it out. 
One of the tensions that I'm thinking about um, tonight that's, that's hard for me to know exactly what to do with is what to tell some of you who are carrying around self-inflicted burdens, self-inflicted burdens, burdens that you don't need to carry, burdens that you are heaping on yourself that there's no reason for you to walk around with. You may have a midterm tomorrow that there's no way you can ace. And in that sense, in just that narrow sense, it definitely is a burden, an A on that midterm, is a burden that you can't possibly carry. But is it really just because you have been going to bed at five o'clock every morning and not studying? Is the fractured relationship in your life or the estrangement that exists in some friendships just because you've been a bad friend? You, th those sorts of things, like what do I tell you? Like, is it appropriate for me to sort of, if I'm eating poorly and never going to sleep and playing tons of video games or just watching, you know, Netflix or something all day and not doing my homework to sort of say, God, like, I just need you so much. Like, I just can't do all the stuff that you've laid out in front of me. Like, that, that, that's one of the tensions that exists for me because I'm thinking about that and I'm thinking, y'all, like, like, I, I want to talk about stewardship and holiness, and living a life worthy of the calling that you've been given in Christ, and obedience, and these sorts of things. I want to talk about all that stuff, but there's this verse that's in my head, and it has the full weight of Scripture behind it, that we can do nothing apart from Christ. Nothing. Jesus said, you can do, word for word, you can do nothing apart from me. And so quite frankly, I've been thinking life itself is a burden that's too heavy for you to carry. Life itself, just existing in this world, living and moving forward and growing as a human being is not something you were intended to do alone apart from Jesus. We were meant to live our entire lives in union with him, with the spirit in us yoked to the son and under the sovereign love of the father. So are you trying to do anything without him? Anything. Are you trying to do anything without Jesus? Without help? On your own strength? Do you know that if you live that way, every not, not just some, every single burden you're carrying will one day be too heavy for you? Every single one. Though in Christ, we are made to reign over all creation. Which is a huge responsibility. Apart from him, we cannot even reign over ourselves. In him, all creation. Apart from him, you cannot even manage and steward your own life well. The very fact of him giving us life itself and our knowledge of how well we can manage ourselves should be a huge clue that God, in giving me breath, has already given me something that is too heavy for me to carry alone. We can do nothing apart from him. Brothers and sisters and friends, if you are burdened beyond your strength, there is one who can raise you from the dead and he too can deliver you from your momentary and unbearable afflictions. I think the time that I learned, the time that I first started to learn this, I don't know, I don't know it's a significant time, at least. Um, my wife and I, a few years back, four years ago, I guess, something like this, um, we decided to buy a house. And it wasn't an easy decision um, because it had a tree that fell on it. Uh, and 
the reason why we wanted to buy it is because it was a house that we could never normally afford except for there was a tree this big around and going the whole length of the house on top of it and that made it a lot cheaper. Um, and so one night uh, as we, uh, I'm gonna skip a lot of stuff in here. Um, uh, I guess the night we made the decision to buy it, uh, we had um, driven up to this house and we sat on the deck and it overlooks the city. Our, our house has this marvelous view, it overlooks the city. and. Um, Nobody lived there because there's a tree on it, so we, we felt like we could just sit on the deck and nobody'd know. And uh, we, we sat on the deck, prayed together, and just talked about buying this house. And I said to her, I said, you know, you really want to do this? And she said, only if you think we can do it. And I said, well, I don't know if we can. And she was like, well, don't tell me that. And I was like, no, 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 I need, I need you to, to, to hear me clearly here because I was like, here's what's at stake, Anna. Uh, my, my wife's name is Anna. And, um, I said, it, there's a chance that we, in order to get this house, we have to sell our current house and then if we put all of our money into this house and can't finish it to the point that we need, we might lose it too, be bankrupt and have to rent for seven years. Are you gonna divorce me if that happens? And she said, I seriously asked, I said that, and she said, you don't think that's gonna happen, do you? And I was like, no, 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 I'm just saying it's a possibility. I don't know, this is a huge decision. And, she's, and she really, really struggled with that because y'all, this is a big decision. I mean, this was like our, our lives, you know? And um, and, and we both sort of agreed that like, this is worth it, that we think this is worth it. Like with my kind of life, the life I'm living vocationally and what she's doing vocationally, it's not likely we're, we're ever gonna be able to buy a house like this again. And we think this season of life might, it's never gonna get easier. So maybe let's give it a shot. And if we can't, we can't, but we're gonna give it our best shot. Um, and uh, would you put the first picture up for me just to show you what stuff looked like when we started taking things off? So this is the top floor of my house at one point. <coughs> Um, it had gone, I didn't have a lot of time to take pictures, but that wall was gone too. The railings for the stairs were gone. All the flooring stuff there was all gone. Um, and you could stand on the first floor of my house and you could just see space, you know, like everywhere. Um, you can just leave that up for a second. Uh, so we knew this was gonna be tough, um, but, but to give you an idea of it, like I, I was working full time at, at the house. Um, and, and though my boss was really gracious, um, I would, I would, uh, we lived with our in-laws, I guess, um, at the time, my sister, uh, sister-in-law for two months up in East Brainerd. I would drive to this house at seven o'clock in the morning. I'd work for two hours, come to work at some point, get off and go back to this house and work until midnight. And I did that for 110 days straight, um, with eight days of break. There was an eight day window where I was officiating a wedding for a family member in Seattle. And so we flew out there to Seattle, but during that time we didn't go on dates. Um, and I just worked from, you know, seven till midnight every day for a hundred and some odd days. Um, and uh, our original contract had 13 amendments. Um, we underestimated the work by $29,000. Um, we were six weeks late on finishing construction, at which point at any time, the old owners of the house could have sued us for the house back. So there was an enormous amount of stress every day wondering if like I would go into the house and I would see it. Would you put the next picture up maybe? Um, this is the second floor starting to get rebuilt or whatever. I go into the house and see something like this and I'm like, like they could sue us tomorrow. So do I really wanna do any work today? Really, I mean, every day I would go in like at that point because I can't just go into a house looking like this and finish it today. Do you know what I'm saying? And so I'd walk in and I'm like knowing in my mind they could sue us for it today. And I got nothing. And so is it worth it because I'm done? We were out of money, out of time, tired. We hadn't been on a date in a couple months. We already said that, which sucked. 
it was the fall too at this point. So the school, I was trying to finish during the summer, but the school year had picked up steam. So I felt like I needed to be really present here as well. Um, and one morning I was fighting with my wife. We were arguing. Um, we, had, we had decided to move in before um, we were allowed to insurance wise. We started moving in before this even. So you can see there's tarps all over that we didn't have a roof. Um, and we were sleeping on an air mattress in, in our bedroom um, with drywall torn out. And we had a kid, we had two kids, I guess, at some point during that time. Oh no, we had one, we were pregnant with our other which was really cool living there during that time too. Uh, so our son was in one room downstairs and then we were in, the, we were in this other room on an air mattress. Um, and so we were staying there at the time. And if the house had sort of burned down or whatever, while we were there, we wouldn't have gotten any insurance money and lost it. So that was like a level of stress too. And, uh, and one morning, it was, uh, I guess a couple weeks before we were finished, I had actually just recently fallen 20 feet off a ladder and lived without injury, which is pretty wild. Um, but that sort of like woke me up and I was like, holy crap, if I had broken my leg, we would have lost this place. Um, not the leg, that didn't bother me. We just would have lost this place because I couldn't work, you know? Um, and so that was sort of in my mind too. And we got up one morning and we were fighting um, because I was done. And so was she, we were both done. Um, I don't remember the content of it. I just, you know, neither one of us felt like the other was doing enough to make this happen because it was still looking like this. And, um, and so at one point I just had enough. It was probably 8.15 in the morning. It was a weekday. Um, and so I have a tool belt on and all these tools, you know, in, in, my, in my belt looking as manly as a guy like me can look, I suppose. And, uh, and after yelling with my wife, which looks totally manly, um, I, uh, I just walked to our bedroom. It was unfinished and there's, there was nothing in there at the time we actually were trying to finish that room. So all everything was out, it was just a bare floor um, and, and some drywall. Um, and I just sat on the corner of this room and I started crying. 8.15 in the morning, it was a Thursday. And I started just crying on the floor. And it was that moment, I was like, I'm done. Like, I can't do this. For a hundred and some days, like I had been, I had been trying so hard to muster all of my abilities to, to make this thing happen that is, it should be impossible. I'm gonna make it happen. And that morning I was like, I can't and I'm done. And I completely gave up. Like I went to the back room just crying on the floor. Um, my dog started barking and uh, my wife was sitting at the kitchen table praying probably um, while I was crying in the other room. Uh, and uh, <coughs> my dog started barking, which meant somebody was uh, coming up to the house and I was really mad that anybody would come over in the middle of me crying and my wife praying. And, um, and she comes to the, she'd been crying too though, you know, and so she comes to the, to the bedroom and she says, I'm, you know, steamed and mad at her and she's mad at me. And she says, uh, somebody's at the door and I'm not gonna get it. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm standing up and, you know, wiping off tears and like just angry out of my mind at life, at God, at, at my inabilities, because I should be able to do all this. And I had just let that go. And I, I, I had given up and I, and I go to the door um, and there's a guy knocking at the door and it's my friend, Aaron. Um, and it's, again, it's like 8.15 in the morning. Uh, and I open the door and I say, hey, Aaron, what's up? And he said, well, I just decided to take the day off work. I thought I'd help you guys out today. Um, I'm gonna cry, think about it. And he has tool belt on. And um, that moment for me is one of the most significant moments of my life. Um, I, I, am a, I, I struggle a lot to believe that I, I need God. I try to do a lot of stuff on my own strength. I'm a pretty capable individual compared to some other people. And so I think I should be able to do all these things. And the day that I give up, this dude who is quite frankly a much better worker with car carpentry than I am, uh, shows up at the front door and says, need some help. <laughs> um, and it was Jesus, y'all. Like Aaron, I mean, Aaron Shoemaker is Aaron Shoemaker, but that was Jesus that day, you know? 
Up until that morning, I think I, I thought the entire time I can do this. Even though we were $29,000 in over our head, even though 55 different people had shown up and helped on that house. Over that summer, Kirsten brought a girl's Bible study by one afternoon and they just cleaned up debris, construction debris around my house, which I don't know if they thought that that was a great uh, job or not, but for me, like that's the last thing I wanted to do when I've got all this other stuff to do. Um, that kind of thing, like more people worked on my house than a Habitat home. And still I'm sitting there thinking I'm doing all this, right? I'm doing all this. But that morning I broke and I knew I couldn't do it and I couldn't. And it was truly more than I could carry and someone knocked on the door. And I guess I just want to tell you guys, those of you that are under a burden that is too heavy for you to carry, you can put the last picture up here just to give you guys a scope of what we did. So that it was from that second floor up, like everything else. I wish I had that truck. That's not my truck. But uh, everything up from that was what we did. And, and we tore everything off and then built all that brand new. Um, and I really looked at this like 110 days before, about somewhere around 90, 100 days before that moment. And I thought, yeah, I got this. Really, I did. I really looked at that and thought I could totally do this without any help. Um, somebody knocked on the door. But for those of you under a burden that is too heavy to carry, like mine, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I don't want to try and tell you that there's a way out. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to try to tell you that you could fix it if only you would just see it right. I just want to tell you that you're not strong enough to do it alone. That's all. Please don't listen to the lie that you should be able to manage this or take care of it. Please don't listen to that. You can't. And there is a God who loves you more than you love yourself and who is more powerful than you and more powerful than your burdens. He's more powerful than your afflictions and he promises to be with you always. And even when you struggle to know that he's with you in the midst of your afflictions, he has the power to raise you from the dead. And his name is Jesus. And for those of you that are trying to help, you know, like I, I said tonight that, that our, whole life, our whole lives are a burden that's too heavy for us, but sometimes it doesn't feel that heavy, you know? And so we might feel like we have some strength to help. We can be Aaron knocking on someone's door, that sort of thing. Like, if you're trying to help, stop posting memes and giving platitudes and talking and just go knock on someone's door, please. Be Jesus, be like Jesus. We don't need advice, we don't need a new strategy. I don't need to be told that there's some way out when there isn't, I just need Jesus. I didn't need to be told that, hey man, you know, you've still got like, they probably aren't gonna sue you today and you got a couple more days and here, you could just work, I don't need that. This is too much. And what you're trying to do is give me some way to trust in my own strength. I don't need that. I need Jesus. We need to know him, to trust him, and to see his kingdom come and his will be done. When we're overwhelmed and carrying more than our strength can bear, what we need is to hope in the one who is with us and the one who can raise us from the dead. Even as we look forward to the time when there'll be no more death and no more sorrow and no more pain, and the burdens and the afflictions that, that many of us carry now will no longer even be on the new in the new heaven and the new earth. But even there, we will need him still, perhaps more than ever. So what I wanna do tonight as we end, I just wanna help you in the most powerful way I know how, and I just wanna pray for you. I'm just gonna pray for you. 
And we pray, I pray every single week. We pray every single week after we preach. I, it's just the only way I know how to help you. So let me pray for you. Father, I know that there are brothers and sisters of mine in this room that are, um, Lord, the things going on in their lives, I, I couldn't imagine. The weights that they carry, the relational weight, the spiritual weight, the financial weight, the weight of decisions. There's so many things that people in this room are carrying that nobody else really knows but you. I ask in your abundant grace and mercy that you would draw close to them, that they would know you close to them, and that they would know that you know, that you are not blind to the weight that they're under and to the way that they fight and to the hopelessness that some of them feel. that they know and believe that you are a compassionate Father who loves giving good gifts and wants to see each person in this room flourish in your kingdom. And I, I pray not just for the hope. I, I do pray for the hope in the resurrection for each of them, of course, but I, I do pray that, they, that, that, you, that you help deliver them from the afflictions that they're in not on their own strength, but on yours, because you are powerful enough to do it. You who sustains every molecule of this universe by the word of your power, would you bring life into those places? And for those of us, uh, for all of us in this room, as we try to help shoulder the burden for others, would you help us just be like Jesus and not try to fix things and teach people to rely on their own strength or point them in some other direction? Would you help us be like Jesus and, and show Jesus off? Help us be a people that hope in you, not a people that hope in our own strength. May this community the friendships that exist here, the core groups, the relationships that, that our staff has with people in this place. May this be a place of healing and a place of lighter burdens because we share them together, knowing that all the while any burden you've given us, any single one is meant to reveal our need for you. As you turn our mind and our hearts to these things, Father, I pray that hope would rise in us and that we would look forward to your kingdom coming and your will being done on this earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.